What's your favorite way to learn? I like graphic novels because I can see who's talking. My grandma reads the newspaper to me. I like movies on TV. I play learning games on my dad's tablet. I like reading plain old regular books with lots of detail. This is Worlds Awaiting, helping children read, write, see, speak, think, and listen. Here's our host, Rachel Wada. Words make up an important part of my life as a reader, writer, and a teacher. I'd suggest that they probably make up an important part of your life and the life of your children as well. The body of words used in a language is termed the vocabulary, and having and understanding this word bank is what helps us to communicate. It is clear that one of the most important parts of learning to read is vocabulary. The start of reading is being able to understand that the words you hear also have an equivalent in printed form. So the beginning of learning vocabulary and developing a large vocabulary bank that is essential for reading starts with speaking and listening. So for the very youngest readers, talking and interacting with lots of words is the best way to start. As children develop into good print decoders, however, the need to build vocabulary remains. Even as an adult, it is important for us to learn new vocabulary, so we can not only recognize it in print, but we can also know its meaning. For older children and teens in particular, one of the important things they must begin to learn goes beyond the vocabulary of daily language to the more complex vocabulary of the unusual or specific contexts. But even outside of the classroom, there are great ways to engage with unusual vocabulary. First and foremost, it's important to read. Reading all kinds of texts from books to magazines and newspapers in all kinds of genres from fiction to nonfiction is one of the best vocabulary builders. Another good way to learn new words is to write them down and then use a dictionary to get a definition. So no matter if you're a young child just learning to read or an older reader encountering a new text, vocabulary matters. So here at Rachel's World, we recommend that for all kids, it's important for them to see, hear, and use lots of great words. Tallulah decided she'd better pay attention. She watched closely. She turned her feet and curved her hands near her hips in first position. She bent her knees in a plie. She did it perfectly. I am an excellent ballerina, she thought. Many children know and love this story about Tallulah, a young ballet student, although it may be new to you. Today we'll acquaint ourselves with the author of the book series, Tallulah. Her name is Marilyn Singer. She's known for touching a variety of subjects in her books, from animals to schools to aliens. She has also invented a thingamajig that she calls a reverso poem. Singer is the winner of the 2015 National Council of Teachers of English Award for Excellence in Poetry. She has over 100 books to her credit. Here's Rachel and Marilyn Singer. We're on the phone today with Marilyn. Welcome, Marilyn. Hello. I'm pleased to be here. Well, I am so excited for us to chat today and for our listeners to get to know you a little bit better. They probably know you from some of your excellent books and your excellent poetry. But one of the things I love particularly about your poems and your picture books as well is just this sense of character, that you can capture a slice of life. You can capture a character in in such a beautiful way. And I think a lot of our listeners may be familiar with your Tulu 
Lulu Books. And mm-hmm. she is such a wonderful character that you've captured kind of in a growth over many, many books. So maybe tell us a little bit about Tallulah and how she fits into um, this kind of scope of a, a wide variety of books. So she's not just in one book. She's in several. She's in five books, and there's a sixth one coming out in 2018. Uh, and this is an interesting interesting genesis, I think, about, uh, about Tallulah. I got an email from my editor, and it said... Do you like ballet? <laughs> that's, that's, that's all the notes said, I, I, I seem to recall. And I wrote back, yes, <laughs> but why? And she said, do you think you could write a book about a, a little girl in ballet class? And my husband works at the Third Street Music School, which is an incredible school, and they have a dance program. And I said to him, well, what do you think? You know, you think I can do this? And he said, sure. And he said, why don't you go talk to the ballet teacher, the head of the dance department, and you can watch the kids dance. And so I did. Her name is uh, Cara Gargano. She's amazing. And I asked her to tell me stories about kids in, in ballet class. And she told me a whole bunch of stories. Some of them were, were very sad. They were actually too too sad for the for the book, you know, kids who are homeless and things like that. But then there was one story that was very funny to me, and it was about a little girl whose uh, mother always dressed her to the nines. She'd come in in in, in, in rosettes and ribbons and, and and a tutu. And Kyle would say to her, "No, no, no, that's not appropriate dress for for class." And finally, she had to say to this mother, um, she has to earn her tutu. That was such an amazing phrase and concept to me, and uh, it, it spoke to me a lot, um, because I really believe that you have to work for, for what you get. You know, you can't just expect it to fall in, in your lap. And I think a lot of people and I hope nobody will get insulted by this, but I think a lot of people wanting, who want to go into the arts, I think also sports and probably other professions too, just think it's going to happen without working really hard at it. Um, so I liked that idea a lot. But I am a person who doesn't like didactic stuff and I don't like preachy stuff, so I wanted that kind of a lesson to happen uh, more organically, the way we actually do learn things. You know, nobody comes up to us for the most part and and, you know, and, and, and gives us a whole speech on what we're supposed to learn or know. So I, I wanted her to learn this through her own uh, development process. And that pretty much is what happens in every single book. She learns something, she develops, she grows. My husband says I like to beat her up in every book. And then she's, and then she's okay by the end of it. And I said, no, I don't think it's that mean. But um, So that's how... That's how that, that those that's how Tallulah developed, and she's very um, she's become very real to me, and it's very interesting. She's become very real to the illustrator Alexandra Boyger, who's amazing, to my editor Jen Green, and to Kara, and to all of these other people. So uh, that's a marvelous thing to me, um, and I I think kids do relate to her a lot. I'm I'm hoping that they also will see that. Uh, earning your tutu or whatever you have to, you know, earn, you know, that's exactly what it is. It's something you have to, you have to work at. 
I love that message, as it were, but not didactic message of Tulula. And you say that she's become so real to you. I know that she's become real to so many kids. I have kids at my library and in my family and that I interact with that Tulula is just as vivid to them oh, as their, their friends. So what kind of reactions have you had from kids or readers about your Tulula books or even about your poetry or your other books? How do, how do they respond to you? Well, I get I get really good reactions. I used to get a lot more um, snail mail when I, in, I think years ago when people were writing it more and and uh, especially on novels. But what I get I do get some email now. But what I get a lot uh, I get a lot of comments on uh, on blogs and social media. Uh, so I see what people have to say, and I get I do get uh, email from from parents and teachers a lot. Plus, when I do uh, readings, um, bookstore appearances and other appearances uh, related to Tallulah, a lot of kids show up. And um, I've noticed that the optimum age seems to be four, (laughs) the age of four. Get a lot of kids who are four years old and are really relating to her, even though she's a little bit older. That seems to be when, you know, when they, or maybe when they just start to, to see what she's about. So, yeah, I've gotten really, really, really positive responses. Um, when we, when I've presented to Lula, I try to get dancers to demonstrate some of the, um, the steps and movements uh, in the books, and that is, is interesting, too, um, because they talk about how much they've worked, and, and you can see how hard they've worked to learn these, these steps. Um, poetry, same thing. I get a lot of really good responses on on blogs and again social media and what's been happening lately which is fantastic is teachers and librarians and parents are sending me poems that kids write and in particular they're sending me reversos which is startling to me it's amazing to me that that so many people are willing to try their <clears throat> pardon me try their hand at them and um, and it's very exciting. And I've also noticed a lot of people are having uh, contests of one sort or another. I um I did a a blog interview for Poetry Month uh, for uh, today's little ditty, Michelle Barnes, and she um, she asked she always asks for a prompt for whoever she's interviewing. So my prompt was Echo, and a lot of people wrote poems about echoes involving the word echo some of them were 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 reverso some were not so i think the most exciting thing to me is seeing that people are inspired to write their own poetry that is wonderful and i think that that is the height of joy for an author to see people mm-hmm. taking their work and being able to extend it into something that becomes their own. Mm-hmm. Um, as we kind of wrap up our conversation here, could you give us a tip or just maybe something that you think is important for those kids out there who maybe want to start writing their own poem or who maybe want to start working at this hard thing that is that is creating art? What kind of tip would you give them to help encourage them along that pathway? Well, I, I always tell people that, and, and maybe this sounds, you know, kind of simplistic, but I don't think it is. I tell them that you have to Go around, walk around, get out of your house, you know, go out 
outside and use all of your senses to be aware of things. That observation is really, really, really important. Um, keeping a sense of wonder is, is really important. But I think if you do uh, observe things and if you are curious about things, that does maintain your sense of wonder. You know, in other words, it's, it's not something you even necessarily have to say to somebody as long as you can encourage that curiosity. And then um, just in terms of, of writing, you know, if something, if you see something and it sparks an image, you know, uh, have a little notebook with you, you know, so that you can just write down whatever that sparked. I remember one time I was, um, we have a house in Connecticut and I was sitting outside. I was just relaxing. I was looking at the sky. And my, my husband always says, he uses the word poetizing. And I was looking at it and I saw this airplane. And it was, um, I was looking at the, the, the trail. And I, and I thought of it as uh, stitching, you know, creating, uh, the, the, the plane was like a needle, a silver needle, creating stitches in the sky and the, it just came to me that image and I and I was able to write that down so I think if you just observe and you play and you and you really look at something and you think about you know what is what does this look like to you that can help you know start you on the road to 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 writing poetry and also reading a lot of it I mean I always tell people you have to you have to read also because uh, that will give you a taste for what's out there. It will also give you a taste for what you like and uh, how you would like to say something. Well, that's a wonderful tip, and I hope it will encourage a lot of our listeners and their kids out there to start poetizing themselves. Mm -hmm. We appreciate this time, Marilyn. It has been a joy to oh, visit with so you today. Fun. Children's book author Marilyn Singer talking about her book series, Tallulah and how the star character was created. Next on Worlds Awaiting, Rachel visits with Joella Peterson, Children's Services Manager at the Provo, Utah Library, about the value of the often overlooked media called audiobooks, many of which you can check out at your local library. She also offers a guide to finding quality audiobooks. Here's Joella and Rachel. We're in studio with Joella today. Welcome. Thank you. Let's chat a little bit about audiobooks. Yay. I think they are such an important format, and some people don't realize mm -hmm. that they even exist sometimes. And one of the trickiest thing, I think, particularly with audiobooks is, you know, we, when we look at a book or a picture book, sometimes we, we can pretty much tell if it's a quality book or we have mm -hmm. some standard that we've learned in school how to do it. But with audiobooks, it's a little bit different. So yes. so how do, we, how do we judge a quality audiobook? Oh, it's so tricky. I think... Um, there, there are a couple of standards that that I have, and some of my friends have. That um, when I was on the Odyssey Committee, which is an award for audiobooks, we got what we um, jokingly call Odyssey ears because we listened to so many things, um, just hours and hours and hours, usually a day of listening to audiobooks. That you start tuning into things that work well and the things that don't. So some of the things that work well, if the pacing is good, if you can clearly understand what people are saying, sometimes it's 
jumbled and too fast or too slow and, and you lose track of what's actually happening. If you can't understand what's being said, it's obviously not a good recording. Another thing is if they are consistent with their accents, often they'll do character accents. And in books, um, they don't always say said Sally or said Johnny, you know, at the end of some dialogue. So if you're listening to an audiobook and you can't tell who is saying what, then you're just up a creek without a paddle, it feels like. So that's that's one thing that's important. Sometimes, so this is going into what's not so good, but sometimes um, there's there's narrators that breathe really heavily. And so it almost sounds like you're listening to Darth Vader a little bit as you're doing the recordings. And then there are sometimes you'll be listening and they'll be talking like this and then all of a sudden they get really quiet and then loud and they're really quiet and it's like this up and down and... And those are all things that distract you. And I, I think the main thing is a good audiobook does not take away from the book that it's trying to present. A good audiobook only enhances what is being done so that the experience is this amazing experience that a, a reader listener has. I love that sense because I have found that there are times that I will read a book Mm-hmm. And then I will listen to a book or vice versa. I'll listen to a book and then read a book. And it actually comes out being a very different experience. Yes, very much so. H- why do you think that happens? I mean, why does this format change our experience with the text? Well, so I, th- I think there are a couple of different things that are going on. Um, one, there's a lot of times people, when they're listening to audiobooks, they are often doing other things. And I think um, if you are driving down the road, for example, and your whole family or just you are listening to an audiobook in the car, driving is kind of one of those things where people are often on autopilot. And so they are completely immersed in what's happening. And so you have this experience that's almost as if you're taken and placed in this story, in this land, similar to what an experience with a movie would be like or something like that. For good or bad, you're placed within this this realm of something. You can't control when you're listening to the audiobook all of the different things that are happening. As you, as you read a book, you can decide how fast you're going to go. You can decide if you're going to speed read. You can decide if you're going to skip ahead to the end to know what's going to happen. Um, there are a lot of people I know that say, oh, this this seems like it's going to have a sad ending or, or I'm not sure about this. Let me just see what the ending is so that I can read the whole thing knowing what's going to happen. But with audiobooks, you're just along for the ride. And, and that can be a very powerful experience or that can be a very cringeworthy experience, let's say. Yeah. I think that that um, just shows the the power of these. So why do you suggest people maybe take a look at audiobooks? I mean, mm-hmm. what kinds of reasons do people come into your library and say, oh, I want an audiobook? Or what mm-hmm. kinds of reasons would you pick an audiobook over a print book? So um, there are a lot of, of, of readers that they have a hard time reading. So for example... Um, some, some people have dyslexia or some people have a hard time reading as, as fast as they need to for school assignments or things. I often get a lot of kids that come in 
and they their or their parents rather and they say you know my child can't read or they can't keep up or they're not interested and perhaps it's because the reading level that they're on is not necessarily a reading level that is of interest to them so if they listen to audiobooks or if they listen to audiobooks and follow along with the reading, then they can actually strengthen their skills for reading and they can read on a level that's of interest to them. Or sometimes kids, they have a hard time getting past the first initial setup of the of the book. So, I mean, readers know that they usually have to give a book, you know, a certain amount of chapters or a certain amount of pages just to get into the story and understand if you're going to like it. And if you're a struggling reader, you have a hard time with that. And so listening to an audio helps helps set up the characters with the tone of voice, with the character accents, with the pacing, with special effects that, that are sometimes audio music or, or different things that just kind of grab readers a little bit more, even reluctant readers. And so audio is very powerful and important. And I think even if they're not necessarily reading words on a page, they're understanding story, they're learning vocabulary, and they're learning foreshadowing and deciphering and all those kinds of coding things that are very important with reading. Um, but it's in a in a way that can actually grab them. And that's not even to mention the fact that there are different types of learners. And so you have people who who are visual learners, but you also have people who are audio learners and kinesthetic learners and all different kinds of things. So audio is a very powerful tool, I think. And the cool thing in this day and age is, particularly with libraries, there's lots of ways to mm-hmm. access these kinds of audiobooks. So even though this is a particular library, I'm sure that most libraries have these things. So how in your library do you yeah. provide audio books for your patrons? Mm-hmm. So we have um, books on CD and we also have um, OverDrive or one-click digital or things like that. So there's e-audiobooks and books on CD that we have. There's also what we call um, kits so it's um, a picture book put with the CD that they can check out together for the for the really young ones. Um, but yeah, so we there are there are a few books on tape that are left over in our library. But the those old are, format. They are they are the old format. They um, are not necessarily purchased anymore, but there's still some people that have tape players and that go for that type of a thing. But mainly, our library has. Um, e-audiobooks that are downloaded from OverDrive and OneClick Digital and the um, the books on CD. Yeah. I, I love to advocate for the options that libraries have. So check out your local library because yes, I know sure. that they're going to have things. And if they don't, ask for them. Yes, definitely. Yeah. So maybe recommend one or two <laughs> titles that you think that you think are excellent, excellent okay. audiobooks. So I have to advocate for the Odyssey um book winners that were for my year. So The War That Saved My Life on audio, fantastic. The reader, oh my goodness, the narrator, you just you just feel like you're in England. Um, the other one that I love from that year, obviously, because we picked it as an uh, honor, is Echo. Echo is fantastic because it has music that weaves through um, with the narration. So as they talk about a harmonica and they say, and 
they picked up the harmonica and played Old Lang Syne or something, then listeners can actually hear what that sounds like. Uh, Corgi Siegel, I believe, is the musician that played the harmonica for that narration. And it just gives you chills. So that's that's one of those that I just think, please never read that book. But yes, do. But but mostly just listen to it because the listening is is just such an ex- amazing experience. Well, and the interesting thing about both of those books is they were award winners in other categories. Yes. So they're extraordinary stories, right? Because mm-hmm. they were well received in other you know, in print venues as well. But I agree with Echo, um, Pam Munoz-Ryan. That is such a wonderful book to listen to because it really is about music and sound. And the audio just adds such depth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it adds just an extra layer of depth, particularly for things that Kids may not know the music or they may not know mm-hmm. that sound. For me as a reader, when I read it, I'm, I could hear it because I knew those songs and I knew that sound. Yes. But kids may not. So being mm-hmm. able to connect those two is just a powerful way to. It's a power way, powerful way to have a story. Yeah. And it just adds, again, like we were talking about, that depth. So any other last recommendations you'd like to give to us? Oh, my goodness. Um I I love um, the Rangers Apprentice, John Flanagan, and Terrible Two. Those those are just probably some of my some of my personal favorites. The narrators are brilliant. Yeah, my my two favorite brilliant narrators are the series of unfortunate events. That's a oh, classic. Yes. Yeah, yes. beautiful narration um, by the author on some of them. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, my other favorite narrator is the Harry Potter books with Jim Dale. <gasps> Jim Dale. <laughs> he also just did the um, Little Miss and Little Mister series. Yes. Redoing. Yes. Oh, those yeah. those are fun too. Yeah, you, I just love Jim Dale. His voice is. He can like, make anything sound he good. He can make anything sound good. <laughs> you're right. You're right. And th- that's true of certain audiobooks, right? I've mm-hmm. even had some audiobooks where I've read the story and not liked it, but listened to it in audio. And I'm like, that narrator just added. There are, some, there are some books that I listen to just because that narrator is the one doing it. Yeah. So, so that's, that's a good recommendation. Find a narrator you love. Find a uh-huh. publisher you love. And you then know, go that and way. And then go that way. And then find a librarian you love and ask them exactly. for their recommendations. <laughs> exactly. Thank you so much, Joella. You're welcome. Joella Peterson, Children's Services Manager, Provo City Library, discussing the value of audiobooks and offering tips for finding quality ones. We finish up the show today with The Quangle Wangle's Hat by Edward Lear, known for his humorous poetry and limericks, read by Reed Wolfley. The Quangle Wangle's Hat by Edward Lear. On the top of the crumpety tree, the quangle wangle sat, but his face you could not see on account of his beaver hat, for his hat was a hundred and two feet wide, with ribbons and bibbons on every side, and bells and buttons and loops and lace, so that nobody ever could see the face of the quangle wangle quee. The quangle wangle said to himself on the crumpety tree, Jam and jelly and bread are the best of food for me. But the longer I live on this crumpety tree, the plainer than ever it seems to me that very few people come this way, and that life on the whole is far from gay, said the quangle wangle quee. But there came to the crumpety tree Mr. and Mrs. Canary, and they said, Did ever you see any spot so charmingly airy? May we build a nest on your lovely hat? Mr. Quangle Wangle, grant us that. Oh, please let us come and build a nest of whatever material suits you best, Mr. Quangle Wangle Quee. And besides to the crumpety tree 
came the stork, the duck, and the owl, the snail and the bumblebee, the frog and the thimble fowl, the thimble fowl with a corkscrew leg. And all of them said, we humbly beg, we may build out homes on your lovely hat, Mr. Quangle Wangle, grant us that, Mr. Quangle Wangle Quee. And the golden grouse came there, and the pobble who has no toes, and the small Olympian bear, and the dong with a luminous nose, and the blue baboon who played the flute, and the orient calf from the land of Toot, and the addery squash and the bisky bat, all came and built on the lovely hat of the Quangle Wangle Quee. And the Quangle Wangle said to himself on the crumpety tree, When all of these creatures move, what a wonderful noise they'll be. And at night by the light of the mulberry moon, they danced to the flute of the blue baboon on the broad green leaves of the crumpety tree, and all were as happy as happy could be with the Quangle Wangle Quee. The Quangle Wangle's Hat, a humorous poem by Edward Lear. Thanks for listening to Worlds Awaiting. Tune in Saturdays at 1.30 p.m. and weekdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern on BYU Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 143, on the TuneIn app and at byuradio.org.